Hey everybody, that was Aural Vampire. I am Bo Ransdell, and this is Hero Hero Go Show, a podcast that hits with the impact of a closed fist against a child's face. No, I'm not advocating child violence. I'm talking about today's movie, and that movie is called Carved, which you may know from other names like A Slipmouthed Woman, or Carved, A Slipmouthed Woman, or uh, the original title, which was simply Kuchisake Ona, which is the very literal translation, A Slipmouthed Woman. Uh, one of the good things about being in season two of this show is we can start to connect some dots, which we're going to do right now. So, Carved is a 2006 film, 2007 according to IMDb, but I believe the original release was 2006 in Japan. This was directed by Koji Shiraishi. Uh, he is best known for films like Noroi the Curse. Uh, he did a film called Grotesque. He recently did Sadago versus Kayako. Uh, he also did a movie based on an urban legend we'll mention later called um, Teke Teke. Uh, so the guy has been around horror films uh, from Jump. In fact, uh, one of his first films was Noroi the Curse, which if you happen to listen to the podcast Under the Stairs, uh, they did uh, an episode involving Noroi that is pretty fantastic. It's a great movie, and we're, we're going to cover it on this show as well. But in addition to uh, Koji Shira Ishii, um, this also has some ties to other movies. Uh, there is a character by the name of Noboru, uh, who is played by Haruhiko Kato, which may not be a name you're familiar with, but if you joined us for the, uh, the show about the movie Pulse or, uh, Cairo, then he is, uh, the, the main character from that, not the, the young lady, but the, uh, but the character of Ryosuke. Uh, the young man who uh, went in search of answers. And he is here uh, in Carved as well. Um, there is also uh, a young lady named Chiharu Kawai, who plays the uh, the mother of Mika in the film. We'll get to who all those people are. But uh, she was in Mutant Girl Squad, which is another movie we're going to talk about on this show. So uh, th this is a movie that is firmly planted in the rich soil of Hero Hero Go Show. And, uh, and hopefully as we go through, you'll have the experience that I have myself, which is saying, oh yeah, I know who that is. Uh, instead of it just being people that are in a movie that uh, is in a language you don't understand. But we'll talk about all those movies and uh, actors and actresses later. We are here to talk about Carved, a.k.a. A Slipmouthed Woman. Um, now, as I said, this is all based on an urban legend. Uh, we're going to get into the details of that later in the show. But it it's interesting to me because you don't often see um, kind of big budget urban legend films. I mean, here in the U.S., we had a movie called Urban Legends, and there have been a few. But um, none that have kind of the profile of of uh, these urban legends in Japan. Um, Carved is one there. You know, Teke Teke we mentioned. Uh, there's one about a girl that haunts toilets uh, that has been made into a film a couple of times. Uh, a Slipmouthed Woman has actually been made into a movie a couple of times as well outside of this one. And it also proliferates through, uh, you know, uh, manga and uh, television and fiction. And it, I mean, it, 
it's a pervasive story is what we're getting at here. So thank you again uh, for recommending the movie. It is one I had not seen until preparing to do this show. And in fact, I was actually going to do this film alongside another movie. Uh, but once seeing it and digging into it a bit, I realized both of those movies deserve, deserve their own episodes. So we are not going to uh, uh, short shrift either of these films. Um, and we're going to focus entirely on Carved for this episode. Again, this is a solo episode, so I have no guests to introduce. But we are going to plant this firmly in regular episode territory. This is not a bonus episode. This is an honest-to-goodness episode with all the frills that come along with it, with the exception, uh, of course, of another guest. And we did that last week on the bonus episode, and people responded positively to it and, and said that it was okay that I was doing the show uh, solo. So we're going to continue along that theme. Uh, as always, you can drop us a line over on the Facebook group page at uh, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash hero hero go show. Or you can drop me a line at bow at legion podcasts.com uh, and, and chime in. So if you found that you loved the show before, but since uh, hearing a couple of episodes of just me, uh, that you're not uh, as on board as perhaps you once were, then uh, let me know that. You know, we we want to give you a show that you enjoy listening to, and uh, I always appreciate the feedback. So without further ado, let's get into the story of Carved, a.k.a. a slit-mouthed woman. So Carved begins with a series of scenes in which uh, young children are telling each other the story of the slit-mouthed woman. And we establish the ground rules of the slipmouth woman here, uh, which is she appears, she steals kids, she takes them back to her secret lair, and then she uh, she carves them up. She gives them slit mouths uh, like, like herself. Uh, one of my favorite parts of this sequence, though, the kids are telling uh, their parents this legend, and the father in the scene says, oh, wow, the slipmouth woman has really gotten merciless since my days. So there is a sense that this is a story that's been uh, propagating. In fact, they say it spread all through Japan, but that the story originated in the town in which the film is set. Probably most telling in these scenes is we're first introduced to Mika, who is a young girl, and her mother, Mayumi, uh, played by Chiharu Kawai, who we mentioned was in Mutant Girl Squad. So Mayumi, the mother, uh, is kind of giving uh, poor Mika a little bit of a dressing down and saying she wished that the slit-mouthed woman would come and take Mika because of how troublesome uh, Mika was, even though Mika is just this quiet little girl that doesn't really do anything wrong. But nonetheless, Mayumi gives her a, a, a smack right in the chops. And... Uh, for those who uh, have problems hearing stories about child abuse and, and child uh, children being hit, that sort of thing, fair warning, this movie is about child abuse uh, to one degree or another. And in this case, we see uh, Mika get one across the chops, as I said, and uh, then we cut to some schoolgirls uh, who are all talking about, you know, well, could it hurt? And they're also... Three young kids, three boys, who are staking out a park where, in theory, every day at 5 p.m., the slit-mouthed slit woman shows up, and they want to get a peek at her. 
we are also introduced to uh, our two main characters, who are Kyoko, uh, as played by Eriko Sato. Uh, you might know her from a movie called Honey Cutie, as well as its sequels. And uh, Noboru, uh, who is uh, Haruhiku Kato, the gentleman from Pulse, or uh, Cairo. And they are both school teachers at uh, the local elementary school. And uh, Kyoko is new there. We find out that Noboru uh, is kind of her buddy, and he is disturbed, shall we say, by all this talk of the slit-mouthed woman. Uh, and we'll get to why later. But there is a uh, a picture drawn on the chalkboard of Kyoko's classroom. And uh, Noboru finds it. And he hears a voice ask, am I pretty? What follows then is an earthquake. We see all our characters uh, being shaken around. All Star Trek original series style. And then appears the slipmouth woman of the film we get a look at her villain uh right away and she's all gnarly uh in a long coat with a wicked looking set of scissors really long scissors and a filthy surgical mask over her face now uh in some of the legends uh the slipmouth woman is not in fact wearing a surgical mask sometimes it is a scarf or a fan depending on the era in which the uh, um, urban legend is set as well as the teller one would assume but uh, she appears and right away are our three young kids who are hanging out in the park waiting to get a look at the slip mouth woman sure enough do they uh, one of the boys gets snagged by the slip mouth woman and uh, we're just going to call her the SMW uh, from now on. So the SMW grabs one of the kids and uh, the two boys, uh, the two remaining boys, uh, take off running. And when they turn around, both the SMW and uh, the poor kid are, are gone. Um, the next day at school, uh, Mika, uh, who is recovering from the bust in the chops that her mother gave her, is wearing a surgical mask to cover up the wound in the corner of her mouth. Meanwhile, everybody in the uh, in the class, or a lot of the mean girls in the class, uh, start making fun of her, saying that she's dressed like the slit-mouthed woman, and, you know, it, it's, it's a real bullying kind of scenario. It doesn't really seem that Mika is well-liked in this school, uh, but one of the boys in question, uh, it seems to be keeping a bit of a journal about the slipmouth woman. He's got a little composition book where he is making notes so that nobody misses any valuable information. Um, and I, you know, I guess about said SMW, but, uh, yeah. So the, the class is making fun of Mika. She's not having a great time. Uh, the kids believe in this slipmouth woman, but of course none of the teachers do. With the disappearance of the young boy, however, uh, school is letting out early and all the classes are being told, hey, you're going to go in uh, in a particular order. You're going to be taken home as a group. And one of these groups is led by Kyoko. Uh, and this includes the young girl, Mika, uh, as well as her classmates. And all the kids get home safe. Uh, Mika is the last on the, uh, the list of students to take home. And... Young teacher Kyoko uh, has Mika in tow, takes her home, and the the mother, who uh, is 
a bit of a pugilist, as we discussed already. Um, greets her. Her daughter is happy to see her and all that. You know, it's not like she's just a, an evil stepmother. Uh, she just has a little problem with violence. And Mika doesn't want to go home. And so Kyoko says, look, I'll I'll take her for a walk and, uh, you know, I'll bring her back home later. It'll be fine. So they have a sit down and Kyoko uh, finally peels the surgical mask off Mika and sees that she has uh, this bruise on her face, a swollen, busted lip, and asks if uh, the mother did it, if uh, Mayumi was responsible. Mika doesn't really say anything. And up until she says, you know, I don't, I don't think I love my mother. After asking, you know, is it, can, can a mother not love their child? And then I, I think a lot of this movie is, is about this thing. Uh, where Mika says, do you, do you think a mother cannot love their child? And uh, Mayumi, in a surprising, no, I'm sorry, not Mayumi, Kyoko, in a surprising moment of honesty, says, yeah, I guess some parents don't love their children, but that's not the case with your mother, because when I brought you home, she was real excited to see you. Um, and Mika says, I think I hate her, though. At which point, Kyoko flips out. She uh, she yells at Mika and says, don't ever say anything like that, terrifying the little girl, who then takes off running right into the arms of the SMW. Um, Kyoko arrives in time to see Mika struggling in the grasp of the, uh, the slit-mouthed woman, and as she struggles... Uh, Mika swipes the surgical mask off her face, revealing the grisly wound uh, on either side of her mouth. And uh, but she's not as gnarly. Like this is not as gnarly a version of the slip mouth woman that we saw earlier. So the uh, SMW uh, takes Mika off, steals away with her, and uh, and then we're kind of left for the police to come investigate and uh, for. Kyoko to be briefly questioned by the police, uh, where she, uh, she says like, Hey, yeah, you know, it was a, a woman wearing a surgical mask and, and that's it. You know, she doesn't know anything more about this whole slip mouth woman situation. Uh, meanwhile, Mika's mother is obviously devastated. Back at home, uh, our heroine Kyoko calls up her, uh, her daughter, I, um, I is living with her father and we are treated to our first flashback with, uh, Kyoko and I, and Kyoko, uh, it turns out has a bit of a temper problem as well because we get a flashback to a scene in which, uh, I, the daughter, uh, tells, uh, Kyoko that she likes her father more than her mother and, uh, Kyoko, uh, again, smacks her. And then, uh, you know, Kyoko has, uh, a, a, this dream vision in which, uh, I is, uh, is taken by the SMW and, you know, a, a flashback to the, the terrible scene of, you know, a child being kidnapped by a hideous monstrosity, uh, that she witnessed just earlier in the day. Uh, as you would imagine, it can lead to some, uh, some poor sleep. And when she wakes up on this new day, the city is uh, in a, certainly alerted to the fact that now there are uh, a couple of kids 
that have gone missing. And Noboru is creeping around like he knows something, which it turns out, of course, he does. But he ends up going to Kyoko and pressing her for a little information and, and asking about, you know, what this woman looked like. And then he produces a picture and, and essentially says, hey, is this the woman you saw? And the woman in the picture is, of course, the SMW, only she doesn't have the pale, creepy eyes. And she doesn't have the gash across her mouth. But aside from those small details, she is, uh, in fact, the SMW. And Kyoko reasonably says, hey, we should take this information to the police. And that would be great, except Noboru drops this little tidbit on her that the picture is about 30 years old. And the woman in the picture and the woman that Kyoko has seen are essentially the same woman. Like, there's no difference in age. So there is clearly something supernatural afoot. As they're talking, uh, Noboru gets uh, another of his voices in his head that asks, am I pretty? And he takes off. Uh, Kyoko, wondering where the hell he's getting off to, decides to jump in the car with me, with him, rather, and off they go to the home of the uh, young boy who is keeping the journal of all the SMW uh, facts and tidbits. And they arrive just in time for him to let them in. And then they turn around and see the SMW uh, behind him. Uh, she grabs uh, the kid and a struggle ensues in which Kyoko takes a knife and stabs the SMW until she collapses to the ground, freeing the boy. But when they look at her again, Rutro, it's actually uh, a woman named Yoshida, who is the mother of a couple of the girls we saw earlier in the movie. Uh, we then visit their house because, you know, depression. And uh, there, Kyoko and uh, Noboru... Uh, are checking in on the two girls who are leaning out the window like Statler and Waldorf from The Muppet Show. And they say, like, hey, is your mother here, maybe? And uh, the kids are like, nah, she's gone. She'll be back in a minute, though, so we can't let you in. And, like, Kyoko is just devastated because she realizes that in an attempt to save this kid, who, by the way, they just dropped off, uh, a couple of blocks away from the police station and are like, Hey kid, best of luck. We saved you from the SMW. You can make it the two blocks to, to the police station. We got to go deal with the fact that we just murdered these kids mother. So, uh, yeah. So Kyoko is, is rightfully very devastated. She's terribly upset dealing with the fact that she has, uh, you know, killed, um, <laughs> the, the, the mother of two children, and uh, before he goes, though, uh, our, our kid, our journalist, uh, young journalist, probably works for the school newspaper. Um, he uh, drops off his notebook uh, for Kyoko and Noboru uh, and says, hey, this is information about the SMW. It might come in handy. Uh, you know, best of luck going to uh, tell some children that their mother is now dead at your hand. And uh, then... We finally get the full story on who the SMW is. And it turns out it's Noboru's mother. Uh, apparently, she was 
a sickly uh, but tall woman, uh, at least compared to children, um, who wore a surgical mask because she was coughing all the time. And Noboru had a brother and a sister as well. I believe he is the youngest of the three. And he says, yeah, uh, she basically just took turns beating us until one day uh, my brother and sister disappeared, and then so did my mother. And that's it. That's all the story we get. We'll get a little more tidbit later on in the film. But, uh, yeah, so once again, we are talking about this history of abuse, of of parents abusing children, whether that is um, Kyoko abusing Ai, whether it's uh, Noboru's mother, the SMW, abusing him and his siblings, and then, of course, you know, later the children that she's kidnapping, um, whether it is uh, Masuyami um, abusing Mika, I'm sorry, Mayumi uh, abusing Mika, but there is consistently, uh, this is a story of the abuse of children. And after this, Kyoko and uh, Noboru are on the hunt for the SMW. He's got his psychic, you know, radio tuned in, so he hears the Am I Pretty? And can tell how near or far it is. So they go uh, following the voice that he hears into the park. And unfortunately, they are a little too late. Because along the way, uh, a girl that was putting up posters for uh, Mika. uh, You know, missing posters for Mika. um, Along with her mother has been kidnapped by the SMW after her mother started coughing and then, you know, presto changeo, she is now the SMW. So we now have a pattern established where the SMW is actually possessing mothers and then kidnapping the children. And we follow them this time all the way back to the SMW's lair where uh, Mika and uh, the young boy from the beginning are tied up to a pole. We also have uh, the young girl that was looking uh, for Mika uh, tossed down there as well. And the SMW then proceeds uh, to straight up murder the young boy. Um, the, and also apparently do some business with uh, Mika's friend, although we don't see what that is right away. Also, there's a corpse on the floor. This whole downstairs situation is not good at all for kid nor man. So after carving up uh, these two kids, the SMW takes off. Mika finds a little piece of broken pottery and she's trying to free herself. So uh, then we cut to uh, your, your average parking lot. Grandfather talking to his granddaughter. Talk about what a great day they had. And the granddaughter spies uh, a body in an empty parking uh, stall. And the grandfather quickly realizes that it's a young boy. And I got to tell you something, folks. Um, You don't see a lot of dead children on screen. And I'm sorry to laugh. It is not funny. Dead children aren't funny. I think we can all agree on that, right? Even as I laugh again. But there is something shocking and transgressive about seeing dead children in movies. You know, when you do, it's usually something fairly saccharine, like my girl has a dead kid in it. But, you know, it's never gnarly. This is a broken and bloody pile of kid left in a parking lot. 
and it's really disturbing. And, and the reason I laugh is because it is so like shocking and, uh, you know, how do you process that even in a movie? Like I know it's not real, but it's, you know, a bloody dead child. It's not, you know, a fake corpse or, or nothing. Um, I mean, they didn't kill a child, but they do have, you know, a young actor lying there with all made up and, and kind of lying in a bundle. And it's really unsettling. Meanwhile, back at the uh, Mika's house, uh, Mayumi um, says she's going to step out for some fresh air. And the cops are like, hey, uh, don't go too far. And she's she's like, uh-huh. And then immediately gets in a car and takes the hell off. Because she is on the hunt for her daughter, especially after the discovery of this boy's body. She is worried that Mika is also going to be killed. And uh, so she... Uh, lights off for her own investigation. And while she's up to her own personal detective business, uh, the girl that got abducted by the SMW just a couple of scenes back, uh, Natsuki, her name is, uh, Natsuki is also found, only she is not dead. She is instead wandering in the park uh, after dark, um, found by uh, s- some boys and, and their father. Uh, and her mouth has been slit. She has, she is now a slit mouth young woman. Um, and that's pretty gross as well. So, uh, back at, uh, Kyoko and Noboru's story, they are on their way, uh, to find a house with a red roof, which is, you know, part of the legend of the, uh, the SMW and, uh, has been, you know, reported from a couple of characters, like the little boy, uh, had, had heard this and it turns out, of course, uh, that Noboru's house had a red roof. So they decide they are going to go back to his, his home, uh, his childhood home. I think it's, it, uh, one, one of the frustrations of this movie is there are times when decisions are made, uh, from like a writing and directorial point of view that aren't totally great. Like, I don't ever totally understand why Noboru is so reluctant, not necessarily to believe in the SMW, because he seems to kind of pitch that idea fairly early on, but that he's not making these connections, right? That he's he's saying, yeah, I think this is my mother, wherever could she be? Certainly not at our childhood home, where the most heinous shit in the world went down, but that's where they're headed, so... Uh, they finally get around to, uh, arriving at, uh, at the homestead, uh, along the way, Mika's mother, Mayumi, um, has gone to, uh, to a, a young boy, uh, Matsushisa, something like that. Um, but the young boy that has the, uh, the composition book and has all the ins and outs of the SMW. And he tells her the same thing. Hey, there's this house with a red roof and it's going to be on um was it child break hill child bleak hill something like that the word child's right in the name i remember that much and uh so we have these two forces converging on uh on the house of ill repute here uh child beck hill that's what it was called god bless you so child beck hill is where everyone is converging that is the house of uh Noboru and his mother, the SMW. Um, I think we understand at this point that the skeletons in the basement are uh, those of his brother and sister. 
Um, speaking of the basement, we are back there with Mika, who uh, finally, it, like, she's trying to free herself with with the ceramic, and then apparently just passes out. Like that whole that whole bit uh, just doesn't ultimately matter. So uh, Noboru uh, leads Kyoko into the house, and there we have sort of the final revelation of what happened after he spies a knife on the floor. Um, he now recalls that his mother uh, came at him with some shears at one point uh, after a coughing fit. And she says that she's sick, although she doesn't, she doesn't put too fine a point on that. We don't know if she's physically ill, if she's mentally ill, if she's physically ill, that leads to, to mental illness, whatever, it doesn't matter. All the, all that we need to know is that when she starts uh, her coughing fits, then uh, she goes bananas and tries to kill her kids. And there is a scene uh, in, in one of these flashbacks where she has literally lined up her children and gives them, like, like I said in the beginning of the show, in a mocking way, but it really is something to watch. She absolutely closed fist punches her children just one after the other. And at any rate, so we get the impression, yeah, in a fit of rage, she killed the two older older children. Noboru is now on the chopping block, and she's afraid she's going to kill him. And she says, hey, I'm sick, but the next time I know I'm going to kill you, the next time I, I lose my, my mind, I'm going to murder you. So what I need you to do is I need you to cut my head off. I need you to stab me right in the neck. And she gives him the knife. But Nobaru being a child and also not accustomed to, you know, killing his mother is a little reluctant to do so. Uh, she then flips out and starts coming out with the shears, like stabbing down. And she keeps telling him, you need to chop my head off. Take my head off with this thing. And finally, uh, she goes after him. Nobaru swings wild and then, you know, gives her the, the cut mouth, the slit mouth woman look. And, uh, yeah, so we know that this is ultimately a story of a mother who tried to kill her children and her child did not kill her the right way. So she comes back and it also, here's another problem I got with this movie. I, there's a lot of like about this movie, but here's the problem. So there's this, am I pretty thing that you hear, uh, Noboru hears in his head throughout the film and then he later says, oh, actually, aim at the neck is what I, I was hearing or I started hearing. And it's really at this point that the movie's co-opting of the urban legend takes a left turn from, oh, this is all about, uh, you know, uh, this urban legend that spread through Japan to this is a story about child abuse and that's in ghosts and, and that's where we are now. And so after uh, slicing his uh, mother's face open as a child. Uh, Noboru uh, covers her in the coat she wears and puts a surgical mask on her face uh, to cover up the wound. And then he just kind of closes the door on her and, um, you know, I, I assume grows up in a Norman Bates-ish way with this uh, uh, monster in the house. So uh, they they start exploring the house for Mika they find her in uh, a cellar of sorts, a basement. 
And she's all tied up. They they get her free, and then out comes uh, the SMW, and it's it's sort of the final, you know, confrontation between Noboru and uh, the SMW. But you know, she's pretty good at what she does, and she ends up uh, beating the living hell out of Noboru, stabs him in the gut, and then snips his Achilles tendons. Uh, it's not as gross to say something like audition, but it, it's still effective. And she uh, hauls him off and then realizes like, oh, crap, there's still Kyoko and this girl Mika laying around. And my kid Noboru, well, he's worthless now because he can't walk no more. So I'm going to go ahead and kill them. In so doing, she manages to uh, not or actually kick out. Kyoko, which, by the way, the SMW here, even though uh, she's, you know, a gross ghost monster thing with big, nasty uh, scissors, she spends most of the last act of the movie just kicking the hell out of people. Like, she kicks Kyoko out, she spends a little time uh, just kicking Noboru in the side, even though he's unconscious, just for kicks, quite literally. And then uh, punches Mika out. And takes her downstairs and gives her a couple of kicks for good measure. And finally, Mika's mother shows up. And uh, we finally get um, Mika, Mika's mother, Mayumi, Noboru, and Kyoko all in the basement along with the SMW. Um, Mayumi, Mika's mother, uh, sort of sacrifices herself at this point. uh, Because the SMW is about to murder Mika. And she covers Mika up with her body and takes, you know, some long, nasty-looking scissors in the back uh, for her trouble. Um, there is a bit more of a uh, a battle. Noboru, you know, getting in his licks with uh, with his knife, and then all of a sudden, uh, Mika's mother starts coughing, and she becomes the SMW. She rattles uh, Noboru a little bit more. And by rattle, I mean just continues to beat the hell out of. So they're all tangled up. Mika and Kyoko uh, take off upstairs. Then uh, Noboru actually gets his mother in the neck with his knife. And when last we see, uh, not quite last when we see him, but pretty close to last, uh, he has completely severed her head. Uh, Kyoko and uh, Mika are are leaving the house. It's daylight now. Everybody's happy. They're surviving. Uh, when we do la- finally, finally see Noboru, he is in the basement, uh, and we see the more gnarly version of the SMW that we saw at the beginning of the movie, kind of in the shadows behind him, along with the decapitated head of Mika's mother uh, beside him. So... I, and I guess that explains the ending, which we'll, we're at. Um, the end of this movie is after the SMW uh, has been decapitated, or at least Mayumi as the SMW has been decata- decapitated. Turns out if you say that word long enough, it just loses all meaning. Um, and the last moment in the movie is Kyoko calling her husband and wanting to meet her husband and I, uh, her daughter, um, for a, you know, a little tete-a-tete and 
patching things up. That's what we're trying to do here. So he, uh, Kyoko asks for a minute alone with Ai, and uh, her husband says, yeah, okay, but don't take too long because it turns out you have a tendency to kind of hit her daughter. Uh, so I'm going to be keeping an eye on things. And uh, finally, Kyoko says, look, I'm really sorry that I, I, you know, gave you a smack for saying you didn't like me as much as your father. I kind of get where you're coming from now. And uh, she says, look, I just want to make it up to you. And I, I, I love you. And uh, her, her daughter says, you know, I love you too, mommy. And it's a really nice, heartfelt, warm end to the movie. Except, of course, uh, Kyoko begins coughing. And when her daughter Ai looks up, we see the SMW uh, with shears raised above her head. And the last image of the film is of the SMW uh, Slipmouth Woman. I mean, it's the end of the movie. Let's give her credit where credit's due. The Slipmouth Woman is holding the shears over her head, aimed down at uh, Ai, and down come the scissors. We don't, you know, see anything disgusting there, but we've already seen uh, children (laughs) punched and kicked and uh, beaten. So uh, I feel like the movie is right to be a little reserved here uh, when you don't have to be disgusting. And kind of an interesting note about the SMW at the end of this movie, it's not the, the SMW with the uh, long coat. It's, you know, it's Kyoko in her clothing. Uh, although she does have the scissors and the, you know, jacked up facial features. Uh, to me, uh, implying a bit that, yeah, the curse is not quite done, but maybe there's a slight variant to it that, that perhaps Kyoko's, rage uh that we've seen a couple of times throughout the movie is giving new life one might say to the uh the smw um but i guess what we really have to ask ourselves is is this movie fun as it is and the and you know the movie's 90 minutes long everything that we've talked about plot wise and more you know happens in that 90 minutes it's a nice uh quick watch it's well paced it's a, a well done movie cover to cover but as always on this show, we are not content just saying, hey, this movie's good. You ought to give it a look. No, nah, that's for other shows. We don't care about that. I mean, we care about it, but not as much. What we're saying uh, now is, does this mean anything? And, you know, I'm going to answer that question right after this. Our film for today concerns the appropriation of an urban legend, and a pretty creepy one at that. The original story is of the Kuchisake Ona, or Slitmouthed Woman. From the best I can find in my research, the story first appeared in the 1970s, becoming popularized in 1979 and after. As with most urban legends, details will vary from place to place and time to time, but the basics of the story seem to be these. A woman was having an affair. Her husband, upon learning of the affair, uses a sword to cut his unfaithful wife from ear to ear and asks, Who will find you beautiful now? Returned from death as a malicious spirit, she wears a surgical mask over her mouth and a long coat over her body. She also possesses a pretty nasty set of shears. In the first incarnations of the legend, the mask was a scarf or a fan, and she would ask her potential victims, Am I pretty? If you were to answer yes, she removes her mask to show off her grisly wound, and she asks again, 
am I pretty? If you say no or scream, she slashes the victim so that he resembles her. If you say yes, even after getting a peek at the whole slit mouth situation, she leaves, only to visit you at night in your home where she butchers you in her bed. Consider it, I guess. In the modern version, the questions are the same, but the repercussions are more immediate. If you answer yes on the second go-round, you get your face slit. If you answer no, you're cut in half. When the legend gained traction in the 70s, it came complete with ways to get away from the Kuchisakeona. If you're a grandmother, you can toss candy from your purse at her, and she'll scramble after it, allowing you time to get away. In some stories, money works too. You can also throw her off her game by answering her question with a more half-hearted, you're so-so or okay-looking. The response will confuse her long enough to get away. You could also flip the script on her. When she asks, am I pretty? You answer the question with a question. Do you think I'm pretty? Again, she'll be confused by the response long enough for you to get the hell out of there. While Kuchisakeona is a great urban legend, I'd be remiss not to mention at least a couple more favorites of mine from the land of the rising sun. Teki Teki is a particularly nasty one. In most versions, the ghost in question is that of a young girl who is bisected by a train. Her name is derived from the sound her torso makes as it drags behind her. You know, Teki Teki. She now stalks the earth, slicing in half those unfortunate enough to come across her. My favorite variation, just like everything good in life, occurs in the bathroom. In this story, the girl's name is Kashima Reiko, an abbreviation of the phrase Kamen Shinen Ma, which roughly translates to Mask Death Demon. Kashima hangs out in bathroom stalls and asks the potential victim where her legs are. If you don't answer correctly, your legs get ripped off, which is never good. You have to tell her that her legs are at Meishin Railway. She will ask you who told you that, and you have to tell her it was Kashima Reiko who told you. Otherwise, see above regarding legs ripped off. Finally, if she's feeling particularly troublesome, she'll ask you what her name is, which is a trick. If you answer Kashima, again with the murdering. But if you say Mask Death Demon, you're home free. Speaking of bathrooms, what list of urban legends would be complete without Tori no Hanako-san? The legend is that Hanako was a schoolgirl in elementary school who committed suicide due to bullying. So she haunts the third stall of the girl's bathroom. She appears as a pair of glowing green eyes, and in a nice change of face, she doesn't murder anybody. She just, quite literally, scares the poop out of you. One more trip to the bathroom, this time for Akamanto, or Red Cape. He hides in the last stall of a women's restroom, what is it with stalls, and when a woman comes in, he asks if they would like red paper or blue paper. Don't be fooled by this. If you say red paper, he murders the woman, covering her in blood, hence the red. If you reply blue, you are strangled or bled to death, leaving you blue. If you ask for any other color, he emerges from the toilet and drags you to hell. I assume much like that scene in Train Spotting. The only way to survive is to ask for nothing from him at all. The origin appears to be a variant on a stalker legend, and in some cases, Akamanto is described as wearing a mask to hide his good looks, which prevented him from successful stalking. Another favorite of mine is Gozu, or Cowhead, not to be confused with the film. Not to be confused with the film, what I like about this legend is how vague it is. Basically, there's a story called Cowhead, 
which is so terrifying that to read it is to be driven mad with fear, trembling violently until you die soon after. One story of the legend involves a teacher reading the story to his bored classroom, which leaves them all catatonic and with no memory of the story at all. A story so scary you go mad or die after reading it? Yeah, I'd probably read a sentence or two. Lastly, for this list at least, is the Red Room Curse. So when you're at your computer, a pop-up keeps appearing. The pop-up displays a door, and a voice asks, Do you like? No matter how many times you close the window, it'll keep popping up, and the voice keeps asking, Do you like? Until it finally completes the question. Do you like the Red Room? You'll be found the next day with your room painted red in your own blood. What makes this particularly scary to me is the real-world ties. In 2004, a girl at an elementary school in Sasebo murdered her fellow classmate with a utility knife. It was later found that the murderous 11-year-old, that's right, 11-year-old, had bookmarked a flash video that depicted the Red Room curse, giving the legend a boost in popularity amid the tragedy of child murder. And that's just a small taste. Just like everywhere else, Japan boasts its own scary stories unique to the country and even the regions of origin. There are a ton detailed all over the web, and you can spend more than a few hours looking at the various local legends of Japan and South Korea and other areas in Asia. But all that will have to remain a story for another time. For now, I have one more about a man with a cow head just for you. The question before us now is, is carved simply an entertaining take on Japanese folklore, or is there something more substantial going on here? And if you're a listener of the show, then you know, yeah, there's probably something more going on here. In this case, it is the notion of the monstrous feminine, something we have discussed before, and there's an excellent book by Barbara Creed of that title, The Monstrous Feminine. That is an excellent uh, way of interpreting this film. Uh, essentially, the, what Barbara Creed and the monstrous feminine say is that a lot of these kind of feminine monsters, you know, uh, that they are representative of patriarchal discomfort to one degree or another. And in Carved, I think what we're seeing here, or Slipmouth Woman, Carved was the DVD title. And I know that's what a lot of people know it as, but eh, a slipmouth woman is is the real name. We're going to get it right here. Um, but the the idea of the monstrous feminine is that there is something inherently terrifying about the feminine form for mostly for men. Uh, although in this case, I would argue that it it happens for children as well. Um. But the the notion of the monstrous feminine in in this example of uh, a slipmouth woman, first of all, <laughs> it's called a slipmouth woman, and the design of that scar on her face can be described as potentially vaginal. One might say, um, and in fact, when we first see uh, the slipmouth woman in her less gnarly form when when she takes Mika uh, and the uh, surgical mask is ripped away and we see the the wound on her face uh, her mouth also gapes and it you know it's terrifying because it's 
gross to begin with, you know, seeing that kind of wound. It, it's a bit of uh, uh, Ichi the Killer-ish uh, in terms of the effects and uh, what that looks like. But in uh, Slipmouth Woman, it's much more ragged looking. It, it, it doesn't look like it was done as part of uh, standard body modification. This was just a good old-fashioned uh, slicing up. In this case, uh, the the character of the Slipmouth Woman is sort of the most monstrous of all women because before she ever became a ghost, she was the representation of motherhood gone wrong. And you can get to some cultural stuff there if, if you want to uh, with regard to you know, the breakdown of the nuclear family. Again, this was popularized in the 1970s, this story of the Slipmouth woman. And then all through the 80s, uh, you know, we've talked about this before on the show, that Japan was undergoing this giant wave of both economic and cultural uh, change. And a lot of horror comes out of that, right? It's, it's disruption creates fear. And Japanese society, both economically, culturally, uh, notions of, of the woman's place in society, all of this was in turmoil. And even for a movie as late as this in 2007, it's based on a story that came out of this time, even though you know the film itself exists at, at a time when much of this was, if not settled, at least not quite as much of a, a panic-inducing notion uh, as perhaps it was in the seventies and eighties, but still the notion of the mother, uh, being sort of the primary caregiver as we see in this movie, uh, that is certainly unusual, uh, for Japanese culture or, or traditional Japanese culture. Um, seeing her take the part of both the father and mother, uh, to see her being abusive and, and, and murderous, towards her children is another thing that is a, a real slap in the face of uh, Japanese, you know, standards of, of behavior, uh, as well as it is here. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's not like in the West we're okay with, uh, with beating our children. But again, you know, when you're talking about Japanese class structure and, and gender structure and all that stuff, it's much more rigid. You know, we're talking about a culture that encourages its students to conform at a very early age. It really is a, a very uh, opposite reaction to things that we have uh, here in the West and in the United States in particular, where individuality is so valued. Whereas in Japan, individuality is, is just the opposite. It's discouraged. You know, you don't want to be the guy uh, getting attention because that means you're, you're upsetting the apple cart, uh, the apple cart being Japan in this case. So we have, we have that role. We have the, that idea of the monstrous feminine. We also uh, have a ghost that is traditional in the sense that female ghosts in Japanese mythology typically are not capable of direct violence themselves. And I don't mean that they don't want to commit violence. I mean that they can't. They're they're ghosts. They're discor discorporal. Um, they they had no hands is what I'm getting at. They can't they can't pick up stuff and murder you with it. So in this movie, much like a lot of uh, that kind of mythology, the the ghost, the feminine ghost, has to possess the living. You know, uh, it is 
truly a ghost of of the past. And not to linger too long on the vagina mouth thing, but let's linger for just a bit more. One of the other things that's interesting about it is coupled with the question, am I pretty? The disfigured, otherwise beautiful woman sort of represents an interesting take on sexuality. You know, uh, it is both horrifying uh, because it is grotesque sexuality, but at the same time, uh, you know, it's the most brazen, you know, it's like seeing genitalia on a face, if you will. Um, And the fact that you have a character that goes from being, you know, this woman who is, um, you know, arguably beautiful, uh, at least not freakish, um, to being this creature that is obviously disfigured. But there is also this weird uh, sort of fertility idea because it's all about her being a mother, you know, and you can't separate motherhood from traditional concepts of, you know, femininity and fertility and and all that stuff. So I, I don't want to imply that the movie is overtly making these points because uh, I, I don't want to say I'm digging for this, but I'm saying that it's an interpretation applied to the film. Uh, I don't think the movie, unlike something uh, like Imprint or Pulse even, uh, which we mentioned earlier, or Audition, like all of these movies have this, this sort of artistic flair that suggests that they're about something. Carved, I think, can be read as a very straight kind of ghost story. But I don't think there's any reason to, even though the filmmakers may not have intended certain interpretations, I still don't think you can get away from the fact that you can't write, direct, and and release a movie without there being some sort of, you know, implication of meaning. Um, as we said in the last show... You know, all art is political to one degree or another, even if it's not necessarily intended that way. But we're still seeing this this monstrous representation of womanhood in this film. And it's not just the slit mouth woman. It's also the other mothers in the movie. And at that point, I think it does get over it. I, I really do think that this is a case of a director either commenting on the fact that that nuclear families and traditional families are breaking down in Japan or it's it's a much more pointed argument about uh about modern femininity and motherhood and it is either a criticism of of that style of motherhood or of of modern uh maternity in a lot of ways um or it's just accidental but again given the fact that every female character in this movie is capable of kind of the worst kind of violence right because the most horrible thing you can do is to spoil the innocence of a child you know that's why things like child abuse uh you know both physical mental sexual whatever it happens to be is just the worst thing in the world that can happen because you're stealing the childhood away from a child and you know, that is what's happening in this movie to the point where, you know, the the children are rejecting the parents. Uh, and that gets to the other thing that I think this movie 
is kind of about, and I apologize ahead of time because as much as I've thought about this, it still feels like a malformed idea in my head. But there is something in this movie that has to do with children being the purveyors of truth. Uh, from the very beginning of this movie, it, it, the kids are telling the stories, you know, this montage of scenes that we see at the beginning of kids talking about the legend of the slit mouth woman. All of that is true. Uh, what's his name? Matsutashi, the, the young boy who keeps the, the composition book. He is really the touchstone for everything true in the film. The other character that exposes truth is that of uh, uh, Nerobu. Um, or Noboru and Noboru is, he, he does reveal truths, but it's revelations to himself as well. And even the truth that we're getting at was the events that he witnessed as a child, the events that he, he took part in as a child. So it's really, again, all about, uh, children being the ones who are, you know, the most suffering in this film, certainly because you, uh, you do see adults die, but it's only after they've been possessed and all the adults that, well, not all the, the adults that die. There's a couple of mothers who <laughs> meet a tragic end and they seem like perfectly nice people. But when you're talking about like Mika's mother and, uh, Kyoko, uh, like all of these characters and, you know, of course the, uh, slip mouth woman herself, Taika, Taiko, uh, is, is her non- movie title name. Um, she is also, you know, monstrous before she's ever disfigured and it's the children, you know, I mean, two of which who die in, uh, um, Noboru's household. Um, but you know, even with him as their survivor, uh, that there is this element of, of, of expressing something real and, I find that interesting. Again, I'm not entirely certain what the director is trying to say with that. Uh, Shiraishi is is certainly a guy who has a point of view. I think Noroi is a good example of that. One of his very early movies, which is a little rough, but that movie is is very much about something. And I think Carved is in its own way. Uh, I don't think it is in, you know, the way that movies we've mentioned like Audition are, but uh, I do think that there is something, you know, truly unsettling under the surface of this film that I can't quite wrap my hands totally around. Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously there is the idea of the, you know, the feminine monstrosity in the film. And one of the other things that I, I think is interesting as, as I was doing my reading for this show, as I do... Um, is the notion of the uh, uh, vagina dentata uh, as popularized by the movie Teeth in which uh, I, I don't know if there's ever been a medical case. This could be an urban legend into itself, uh, which is that some women might be born with teeth in their vagina, which, I mean, uh, talk about the ultimate expression of male, male terror, right? Uh, the idea, and it was Freud who said, um, and I'm paraphrasing because I don't know Freud off the top of my head, but Freud actually did say something to the effect of there is a terror in every man that looks at a vagina because there, 
there is an implied castration and follow me on this because this is all psychoanalytics and I only know so much about that, but I know enough to confuse all of us. Um, but what Freud was saying that the idea of the penis disappearing into the vagina is sort of a symbolic castration to one degree or another, because your, your, your penis no longer exists, you know, if you don't have object permanence, I guess. But, uh, yeah, it's the idea of, you know, putting your penis into something that maybe when you draw back, it's no longer going to be there. So from a psychoanalytical point of view, the vagina always represents a bit of danger. Then when you put the vagina on a face and put teeth in there, you got vagina dentata, which is the more extreme version of that. And uh, uh, that, you know, again, implied castration and de- uh, um, was it demasculinization, um, feminization to a certain degree. Emasculation is the word I was looking for. Um, so all of those things, right, uh, that go into, you know, the woman as a monstrous creature. And in this case, you know, when you have vagina dentata on somebody's face, yes, that is a direct male fear. So I get all that. My problem is why do the kids who are the most abused, uh, why are they the ones who seem to have the only understanding of what's going on? And I don't have a good answer to that, unfortunately. And I don't know that there is one. And this is again, audience participation time. If you have your own interpretation of that, I would absolutely love to hear all about it. Um, I find myself wrestling with this movie in a lot of weird ways. Because on the one hand, I think it is uh, terrifically entertaining. I think it's got some great moments. It is shocking how much kids get punched around in this movie. And again, I don't know this with total surety that uh, Koji Shiraishi... uh, I, I firmly believe that he did not allow children to actually get beaten on the set of his film. That said, it's still shocking to see a movie in which kids take a punch to the face from an adult. Um, and and you're going to get that a lot in this movie. As well as, you know, child murder, child disfigurement. It's all uh, it's all really brazen and unsettling. And... Uh, I mean, entertaining is probably uh, a stretch uh, to use that word, but it is kind of an entertaining movie. And uh, up until the end, I think that the third act gets a little messy with uh, Noboru and uh, Mika's mother and Kyoko all kind of bouncing around at the end of this movie, as well as showing up at staggered times uh, at at Noboru's you know child at home. And I think that gets a little messy. I, I wish that were a little bit tighter, maybe. Um, but all that being said, it, it is a, a very fun movie. Uh, it's got some fun effects work in it. It's, you know, it's a little bit on the cheap side, but I, I think the facial scars and, and particularly the scene where the vagina mouth pops open, I think all that's real good. Um, yeah, it's it, it's an interesting movie and, and one that I don't know I would have gotten to as quickly without uh, recommendations. Um from our listening audience. So uh, thanks again for mentioning carved the slip mouth woman or a slip mouth woman. Um, and I would definitely encourage you if you have not seen this movie and have only heard me uh, summarize it and then talk about the, you know, potential 
face vagina implications, uh, it, it is worth your time and is available both on Shutter in the U.S. Uh, as well as you know, you can buy a copy on Amazon, super cheap. Uh, I, I'll tell you, here's the frustration I have, ladies and jelly spoons, is that these movies are not more available in uh, in a Blu-ray format in a high def format. I, I really think a lot of these movies um, would really benefit from it. I, Evil Dead Trap just recently with Richard uh, is the one that leaps to mind because there there are moments in that movie that are absolutely gorgeous because that movie is emulating um uh Gialli film that the use of light and sound and and music and all that stuff is is glorious at times in that movie uh i don't think the transfer um for evil dead trap that i have seen the most recent transfers um do that movie justice so that is my uh side tangent for why uh more asian horror should be on blu-ray um go ahead and start writing the white house immediately and it seems only right to end the conversation about uh, a slip mouth woman with one of my primary uh, forms of research, which is the excellent uh, book, he says, turning over in his hand right now, Introduction to Japanese Horror Film by Colette Balmain, um, who you uh, can listen to in a full interview right here on Hero Hero Go Show in one of the uh, bonus episodes that we did between seasons. Um, she's wonderful to talk to. She's incredibly fascinating and, um, buy her stuff. I mean, they're all kind of textbooks, but you should buy them if you're interested in Asian horror, or if you don't want to do that, just listen to this show and I'll read you the good stuff. So, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to quote directly from the book here. So, uh, bear with me one second, uh, where she says, um, the mothers portrayed in carved are the very opposite of the wise mother. Each one, a modern day slip mouth woman in their aggression and violence towards their daughters. It is argued that in post-war fantastic narratives, women no longer offer a refuge from modernization, but instead seem to have become increasingly other, with a capital O, an other, unreachable, even demonic. And yeah, I, I, I think that's true. I think all, of all the characters in uh, A Slipmouth Woman, most of the mothers are terrifying and horrible, and, you know, now we got to go visit them at Christmas. So uh, that is carved. Uh, thanks again for the suggestion. I, I hope you feel like we did the, the film justice. And uh, if not, let us know. Um, speaking of letting us know. So here's the thing, folks. We have been getting uh, reviews, which is fantastic. We have gotten uh, enough reviews to actually have an average rating now on iTunes. Um, and that's all you guys. Like I did, I didn't do nothing but ask you to, and then you did all the hard work. Uh, and so now I'm going to ask you to do a little more. Um, if you have never left a rating or, or review, uh, or both, preferably both up on the iTunes store for this show, and you've been a regular listener, uh, please do so. Cause the heavy lifting's done now, right? Like we've got enough reviews to actually get charted to some degree. So now if we want to push the show forward, then uh, I can't do it myself because that's dishonest. Uh, so I'm just going to ask you, hey, if you're really enjoying the show, um, go leave us a rating and review, and that's going to keep pushing us up the charts. Like, we're getting there. We we got a finger hold now. We, we're, we're on the charts. We're low, but we're on the charts. So now with every rating and review, uh, we climb higher and higher and higher until eventually we take over the world and we make everyone watch nothing but Ringu. Uh, that sounds like a pretty great world to me, but... 
Um, so thank you for doing that. If you haven't done so and and have been listening to the show for a while, uh, then please uh, leave us a radiant review. Or if you're new to the show and just really love it, then and do the same. Um, as I mentioned earlier in the show, you can reach me at bowatlegionpodcasts.com. Uh, you can leave us uh, an email for the show at herohero at legionpodcasts.com. I uh, certainly encourage you to do so if you don't uh, do the Facebook, which I understand. And uh, if you do do the Facebook, uh, hop over to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash hero hero go show. Uh, and there uh, we, we discuss the shows after they drop. We discuss the movies. Uh, we'll drop some trailers uh, over there, some music, uh, just general discussion and, and nonsense. Uh, and it's all free. I haven't figured out a way to charge for that yet. Once I do, it's no longer free. There's going to be a membership. Um, I would never do that to you. I love you too much. I don't, I don't even know your name, and I love you for listening to this. So uh, next week, we'll be doing X-Day, uh, which was <laughs> later uh, abbreviated hair extensions. Not abbreviated, but uh, colon hair extensions, given a subtitle uh, in the U.S. because uh, X-Day, as it turns out, is... Uh, just slang for hair hair extensions in uh, Japan. Um, when I say that, you're going to say to yourself, hey, that is a movie about uh, haunted hair, and that sounds real dumb. What if I tell you that the guy who directed it is Sion Sono, who also did Suicide Club and Noriko's uh, Dinner Table and uh, Cold Fish? Oh, my goodness. A number of wonderful movies. And X-Day... Um, as dumb as it sounds, I guarantee you that movie is way better than it has any right to be. And I think Sion Sono is uh, the reason for that. Also stars uh, one of the uh, actresses from Kill Bill. So uh, you'll have a familiar face. If you want to get ahead and, and watch that movie, track that movie down and, and give it a look before the next show, I, I couldn't encourage you more. I think X-Day is uh, a, a highly underrated uh, film in the canon of Japanese horror. So uh, enough about that. We're going to talk about it all next week. You're going to love it. And uh, and so that's it. Uh, thanks, as always, for listening to this episode. If you haven't heard the old episodes, uh, they're all available on iTunes and over on legionpodcasts.com. Uh, from the homepage, uh, just hit the little podcast menu, and you'll be able to find Hero Hero Go Show there. And you can see all the episodes we've ever done, including the bonus episodes, uh, thank you, as always, for listening. Thank you for your feedback. Thank you for your suggestions. Uh, this show has become such a pleasure to do, and it's because of all the feedback and all, and all the wonderful people who uh, contribute and recommend and debate and disagree and all that stuff. It's just wonderful to talk about these movies uh, in that kind of environment. And, and thank you all so very, very much for listening. And now, as a special treat for you, here is as much rip slime as I can legally play for you. Good night. <laughs>